want to just pick up our series again. How many enjoyed the series we've been doing on destiny and purpose and stuff like that? Well, I've got some more good stuff for you, so you're going to enjoy this too. And uh, so I've, I, I talked about some areas where we want to go. I just feel God so pushing this onto my heart. It's just so affected me and challenged me. And uh, I know it's going to challenge you. And I want to do over two Sundays, I want to do a, uh, a um, it's all related to it. It's eternal destiny, where will you spend it? Eternal destiny, where will you spend it? Where will you spend it? And uh, I want us to go back into Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And uh, this is going to... It got me going while I was driving here, I can tell you. I've spent some time just on this over the last week or so. And uh, for some of you, this will be uh, really quite an eye-opener. And uh, for others, you will be aware of some of these things, of course, because we've taught them at times before. But uh, I know you're going to enjoy this. So let's, uh, let's get into it. Then we read in Ecclesiastes. How many you the chapter 3 there? You should have spent up by heart now. You know? Well, I'm staying there because God keeps me going back there. And let's pick it up here in verse 10. He said, I have seen the God-given task which the sons of men to be occupied. That's our purpose. God has a purpose for our life, a task. He has something for us to do that flows out of relationship with him. And he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. Well, notice that statement. He has put eternity in their hearts. So God is eternal. He's an eternal God. And what he does always has eternity in mind. Uh, probably, if you're taking down notes, the best way I could try to get a picture of it, because when you use the word eternity, it's hard to get a picture of it, put a dot on your page on the, on the left-hand side. Just put a dot, okay? And then leave a little bit of a gap. And then put a line and run the line right across the rest of the page, Okay? And the dot you can write on top of that, my life. And the line, eternity. Then you get a bit of an idea. The, the dot is so insignificant compared to the line. And eternity is forever and ever and ever and ever. It goes on forever. We've only got a small season which is called time in which we live, which prepares us for eternity. So whatever God does, he has an eternity in mind because he's an eternal God. We're all caught up with time. We've got programs and watches and, and, and we have these uh, things, PDAs, and we keep appointments. We're all pre we're possessed with time. But there comes a time when there's time no more, just eternity. So time is the things we're very concerned about. And time is very important. Of all the things you've got in life, most of them you can replace except two things, people and time. You can't replace them so that, because they have an eternal uh, characteristics related to them. Okay then, so God, so as we read down there, it says, verse uh, 14, it says, Now I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. So God, whatever God is doing, has an eternity in mind. Whatever God does. Whatever God does. Is God working in your life? He has eternity in mind. How many know God is addressing issues in your life? Because he has eternity in mind. We just get caught up with the pain and the problems he's trying to uh, get us to face in our life. But God has eternity in mind. So he addresses issues in your life because he has eternity in mind. When you run away from God working in your life, you're running away from his preparation for eternity. You never want to run away from your problems. Can't, where can you go? Wherever you go, there the problems are. See, so you notice here it says, uh, whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. And uh, so we can't improve God's plan. And they said, and God does it so men should fear before him. So we God wants us to honor and respect him or to live our life out of a sense of respect and a sense of knowing that there's an eternity which we have to be uh, outwork with him. 
And then as we go down here and it says that which has been, uh, that which is, has already been. And that which is to be has already been. In other words, he's saying there's not much new under the sun. Everything's pretty well the same. You having a problem, other people have had a problem. You're facing a challenge, others have had the same challenge. There's nothing new under the sun. No new problems in the earth. It's all the same problems. The packaging's the only thing that differs. And notice this here. He says, and God requires an account of what has passed. God requires an account. Now, here we get to some things which are uncomfortable for us. And some of the things I share will be uncomfortable for you. That means you won't like them because you don't want to think about them. You'd prefer to think something else. And when we teach about destiny, one of the problems with teaching about destiny, everyone gets rad rad about me and where I'm going and all my thing that I'm going to get onto. And so what we need to do is actually also see some other aspects of destiny. So a little later I'll teach some things on your, how God's personal destiny for you is connected to a corporate destiny. But today we want to look at our eternal destiny. We want to look at actually where we end up. And you say, well, I know where I'm ending up, but I want you to see some things about this whole thing of where we end up and what's involved in this. And uh, first we're going to look at, uh, at this thing of Jesus. Notice he said it requires an account. God requires an account. Now, that means that every person, so every one of us, will give account of our life before God. Everyone. There's no exceptions here. Uh, so God, we need to understand this. God created man in his image. He made us. He made us in his likeness. So we are spirit beings who go on into eternity. You're a spirit being. You're a God type of person. You will go on to eternity. When you die, you don't cease to exist. You exit your body. You exit time. You're now in eternity somewhere. And so God has made us in his image and likeness. And notice what it said there. It says, whatever God is forever. So when God made us, he's got an eternal quality in us, that spirit dimension of who we are. Second thing we notice is God made us for a purpose. He designed your life to accomplish something. That's what the whole series we've done on purpose. He made you for a purpose. So therefore, it's also true that he created us for a purpose. It's also true he gave us a free will to choose. You can't have a relationship without free will. So you have a free will to choose what you do with your life. You make good choices, there are consequences for that. Bad choices, also consequences. This is how God set life up to be. And so God created us for a purpose, and and what we do, what we believe, will affect how our life goes on for eternity. Today, you are forming your destiny. Tomorrow, you'll get up and you'll, you'll do things that will shape your eternal destiny. They will be positioning yourself for some things eternally. One way or the other, every one of us is responsible. God gave you this capacity as a spirit being in the image of God to be able to work in partnership with him in life. And so God is very interested that you connect with him in a relationship and then begin to understand what he called you to do and we begin to passionately pursue it. The next great move of God in the earth that's emerging on the church now is ordinary believers beginning to discover their purpose and how God intends them to advance his kingdom in the community and beginning to become bold in accomplishing that. That's why we're taking our time on this. I want it built so strongly in you that you are fired up on the inside. I'm a man of destiny, a woman of destiny. I have a purpose, and my responsibility is to discover what I should do with my life and passionately and wholeheartedly pursue it. 
So that's why, I, that's why I'm taking the time on this. I feel the Holy Ghost won't let me go anywhere else until this is built. If it takes us a whole year, we'll get it into our fabric and you'll be anchored on where you need to go and what you should be doing with your life. Okay then. So, so the thing is, then, now God holds us responsible for our choices. He is the creator. We're the creation. Therefore, every one of us will give account. We will come before God and there is a reckoning. There is a reckoning. People don't like that, but there is a reckoning. See, we have to give an account. In Ephesians 2, verse 2, we saw that there is a course the world follows, and it's under the power of a spirit called Satan, and that course has a track or a path with an eternal destiny apart from God. And we saw in Ephesians 2.10, there's another course, the course we're called to take, a course of following God, a course of doing things to serve God, and that takes us to a different destiny. And you and I choose daily which destiny we'll have. And then, as we'll see a little later, actually what will be built into that destiny. So first we want to see where we're going to spend our eternal destiny. So Jesus taught about two destinations. Let's have a look in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. Jesus taught there's only two destinations. Only two. Isn't that good? There's not lots of choices. Only two. So we're going to see what Jesus taught. Now, we need to see some things about this. Jesus clearly taught that our life on earth is not the only existence we have. Your life on earth is not your only existence. When you die, you don't cease to exist. You go on to eternity. See? All death means is you become separated from us and you've gone into eternity. Now, notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 46. And he's talking about sheep and goats. And he said, these will go into everlasting punishment. That's the goats but the righteous into eternal life. Now notice, two destinations. There aren't three. There's nowhere in between. We either go into everlasting punishment or into everlasting life. There's no plan C. There's no second chance. People who think they get reincarnated and come back are wrong. In Hebrews 7.29, it says it's appointed unto man only once to die. You don't die lots of times. You die once. And after that, you appear before God for judgment. It's very, very clear. So there are two destinations. So the question today is where will you be spending your eternal destiny? Where will you spend it? Well, of course, you say, well, I got it all figured out. I know exactly where I'm going. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm here. Come to base. I'm going, I'm going to heaven. You know, it'd be great. Well, let's just kind of wander through it a little bit and just see some things. And then uh, let's have our faith stirred to walk more seriously with God, if that's what we believe. So he notice there's two possible uh, destinies. Notice in verse 41, he said, I'll say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. So one of those destinies has fire. Everlasting fire. That's a fire that won't go out. Now, there's something horrible about fire and about being burned. There's something, there's something in the heart of every person, we, we just hate to get burned. We'd almost have anything else but not burned. When, when any of you were looking at the uh, 9-11 building, when that b- building caught fire, I wonder how many of you saw in one of the video clips how many people chose to jump rather than burn. There's something inside every one of us does not want to burn. And uh, many times where there's been situations with buildings on fire, people have chosen to jump rather than burn. There's something in us, deep inside us, I'd rather jump and get it over and done with than burn. Actually, usually you don't burn. What happens is you just get smoke and you inhale the smoke and you pass out and you don't notice the thing. But people don't think that. 
There's something in the core of our being. And I think it's because he put eternity in our heart. And we have an awareness of some things about eternity more than we're aware of, I think. So notice that Jesus talked clearly about the reality of punishment. Now, I want you to share with you several things about this. First of all, Jesus knew about it personally because he'd come from heaven. He knew exa- so when we listen to Jesus' teaching about hell and about eternity of punishment, you ought to realize he understood it. He'd seen it. And, and, and so if you're going to get any ideas about eternity and an eternity, we're going to focus today on eternity separate from God. Because you need to know about that. It's not, it's not that pleasant to know about, but we need to know. Because it's the alternative. If you don't make plan A, you're in plan B. Plan A, go to heaven. Plan B, burn in hell. Now, we don't like that. See, people don't want to talk about it. Church doesn't want to talk about it. In fact, it's very, you'll go far and wide before you find anyone talk about it. And we want to talk about it because when we're talking destiny, we've got to know there are only two destinies. One's in heaven, one's an eternal torment. Notice what he says everlasting punishment, and he calls it everlasting fire. So the punishment is a punishment by fire. So Jesus knew personally what was the truth, and he was passionate to warn people about it. He spoke a lot more about hell than about heaven. He was passionate to rescue people from that place. He came in to rescue people from that place. He came in to get us off the path that goes there. And nothing has changed. The message entrusted to the church is a message that gets people off the certain path that leads to destruction. Absolutely certain. We don't want to believe it. And there's many reasons for it. I can't go into it all. I'll just throw out a couple of reasons why we don't like to think about it. But there is only two alternatives. Everlasting life, everlasting punishment. We're going one place or we're going the other. Jesus was passionate about it. And so he taught very clearly as one who knew. One, the Bible tells us, all things were created by him. Both visible and invisible. So he knows about the place. He was involved in its making. So when he's talking about it, you want to listen to what he has to say, okay? So and Jesus also knew that people would react and ignore his warnings. So he spoke several times about it. So when you start to read in the Bible, you find he talks several times about this eternal destiny, and he realized that people would ignore it. So, and the Bible says very clearly, there's a path that's a broad path that goes to a destruction, and it's an easy path everyone wants to follow. So people would prefer not to talk about stuff like this. Church doesn't want to talk about it. Some of you don't want me to talk about it, but I have to talk about it because it's, it's plan B. We'll talk about plan A as we go along as well. See, Jesus also knew that there would be a tremendous pull within the world to seduce us from thinking about an eternal life. Now, how many of you know that every day you're subject to pressures that kind of confuse your walk with God and get you sort of tied up with all sorts of other things? See? And they get us off course. They're, they're destiny thieves, we saw. And so Jesus was aware of that. So he said, you've got to, it's not just the love of God that keeps a man on the right track. It's also the reverence of God. If we have no reverence for God... Reverence for God comes out of knowing he's just and he calls people to account. Uh-oh. Love of God, oh, he's great and merciful. And at the cross, we see both the love of God and his holiness and his justice on sin. So uh, I shared a message a couple of Easter's ago about that. So heaven and hell are realities that are forever. If there is a heaven forever, there is a hell forever. He said everlasting life, everlasting punishment. So if there's life that goes on forever, there is punishment that goes on forever. You'll find some people believe in heaven, do not believe in a hell. 
There is a real hell. Jesus taught on it many times. Okay then, so there are realities. They're not some vague thing. And he describes it as a place. It is a place you go. Now, it's not a physical place. You can say, well, my life's hell already. No, 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 no. You know nothing about hell. You've just gone through some temporary discomfort. Temporary discomfort. Because it will pass. The other goes on forever. Oh, you, you're not going through hell. You may think you are and describe it that way. You've just gone through a bit of temporary discomfort. Hell is something else. It goes on forever and ever and ever. And so in Luke chapter 16, Jesus talks about this eternal reality. So he gives an authority teaching on it, but he refers to it in lots of other places. I can't refer you to all of those places, but you can look them up and and see some of them. So you notice here it says uh, in Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. We're going to read that in a moment. What we need to see is that Jesus describes it as a place. And in Luke 16, 39 to, uh, 29 to, uh, 19 to 31, he describes two men. One ends up with a destiny in heaven. The other ends up a destiny in hell. So there are two destinies, two destinations, two places to go. And uh, so people are a bit suspicious about this issue of punishment. You see, right now, like we've got this debate in, in, in Parliament going on over the smacking bill. And, you know, there's many positions people take on this whole deal. But at the end, one of the things that is a struggle that's a struggle in Western culture, is to accept the idea that wrong things should be punished. It's a major, major struggle in our thinking. And it's been there for quite a while. And hence, the church has has sort of picked that up and been invaded with that thinking. So it doesn't really talk about the fact, actually, God punishes sinners. So, for example, you find uh, somehow people have this mentality that if God loves, he won't punish anyone. Well, this is nonsense. God loves. He's a loving God. God is just, so he's got to uphold justice. And uphold justice means you've got to have consequences. So God loves and gives mercy. God is just and requires consequences. And since he knows the hearts of men, he's the perfect one to decide what the consequences should be. Now, in in our Western culture, somehow people do not like to admit to the issue of punishment. So, for example, let me give you a few examples. Uh, You have a look at the legal system right now. What they're focused on is reforming people as though a criminal shouldn't be punished. Well, if a person does wrong, they should experience consequences. The consequences are painful, and they are a punishment for wrongdoing. But the criminal system today tries to focus on reformation and make some disastrous things. Actually, things, if you do wrong, you need to face punishment. Simple. It's justice, natural justice. And so the attempts to reform are not against reforming, but the problem is people still need to actually be held to account for their actions. Okay? You break the window. You can go and say you're sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Sorry I got caught. You know? And you can really have a lot of crocodile tears and, and promise. And, and they watch you and you don't break any more windows. They come to the conclusion you're not a window breaker anymore and you're going to be a good boy now. But what about the window you broke? Well, who's going to fix that? And what about the person who's left with the broken window? Where would they fit into that? There, there, there's no sense in justice in that. You understand? But it comes because people have swung into looking on people as victims rather than as responsible people. And God doesn't treat you as a victim. To treat people as a victim is to dehumanize them. If you approach your life that I'm a victim, well, well, you know, you don't know what sort of background I've had. It's been terrible. Listen, you're a human being with choices. You can make good choices. 
And you can't blame your bad choices on someone else. They're your choices. You understand? That's how God thinks. So, but the world comes up with all these reasons. Oh, well, you know, uh, the reason he's in jail is, well, they come from a bad family background. Well, there's heaps of people come from a bad family background, don't end up in jail. He chose wrong. He chose wrong. That's why he's there in jail. See, uh, oh, well, you don't understand the kind of abuse I've had and the things I've been through. Listen, there's plenty of people who have had that and did not do what you did. But it's almost as though the, all of the background becomes a mitigating lessening factor from the issue of human responsibility. So that makes people irresponsible and causes us to distrust the justice system and all kinds of justice. But you see, people are responsible. See, one of the things that helped uh, cause the this issue was, was Dr. Spock's teaching way back there in the 60s where he said, punishment is evil. You can't punish kids. They still believe it. Punishment is actually the consequence of doing wrong. There's nothing evil about it. It can be administered unjustly, but it's actually a biblical principle. Everlasting life, everlasting punishment. Everlasting life, everlasting punishment. These are God concepts. But you see, when we reject God, now we've got to smooth it out a little bit, the, the criminal side and the sin side. Say, so, oh, well, you know, it's the, it's the cultural background. Don't give me that stuff. Yeah, what are you doing? What do you say? Now listen, if we say it's all that cultural stuff, you know what you're saying? You're actually treating them like a victim. You're dehumanizing them and say they're not people who are responsible. You're giving an excuse to stay in a mess. Don't take away people's dignity that way. People need to stand up and make decisions. Decisions determine where we go. Not chance, not our background, not all those other things. They are influencers, but they're not the determiners. Influers, but not determiners. They influence choices, but they're not what determines. You decide because of what's in your heart. As a man thinks, so he is. So what's in your heart, that's what you'll do. Now you can put it on your family. And your father who's bad or absent or beat your mother or whatever. You can put it on your culture. You can put it on your poverty. You can put it on every kind of thing. But listen, in the end, God says, you did it. You must be responsible for your choices. And that's why he said, God has put eternity in our, we all know it. Deep inside, every believer knows it. And while we know that, uh, have a concept of God loving, we have a sense there should be justice. When there's no justice, people become outraged. It's true, because there's something in us knows there should be justice. And there is justice. It's found in a just God. God is called the just judge of all the earth. Shall the judge of all the earth not to do righteously. He knows how to sort it out because he sees the heart and the motive. So when someone does wrong, then what happens is he knows exactly why they did it and what they've done. He can sort all of that out. So, so, so then you're not, it's not that people are sick or underprivileged or victims of circumstance. Those make bad choices and they've got bad consequences. You can make better choices, get better consequences. It's just as simple as that. It really is. It really, really is. Okay, then we'll move on. So here we go, these two guys. So, so, and of course the thing is, people think that punishment is not fair, but God is a holy God, but he's also loving and just. And, and so you ask the question, can a, a God who loves people send them to hell for eternity? Yes, he can, because he's also just. And one of the scariest things is to have a God who's in charge of anything who isn't just. Now that's really scary. But if God is in charge of everything and he's just, ooh, your payday someday for everyone. 
Think about it. Okay, so let's move on to the story here. So we need to realize it. Now let's go on to this reality of punishment eternally. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he ate well every day. Oh, what a life. Oh, this is the life. You know, and there was also a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. And he desired to be fed with crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was the beggar died, and he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this place. Abraham said, Son, said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he is comforted. You're tormented. Beside all this, between, you and, uh, between us and you, there is this great gulf fixed. So those who want to pass from here to there cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And he said, Father, I beg you, that my, uh, Father, that you would send, uh, send him into my father's house, for I have five brothers, that they may, te- may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him. No, 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 Father Abraham, if one goes from the dead, then they will repent. He said, no, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rose from the dead. Okay, let's go through the story. I'm going to take it all, I'm going to pick up another part of it next week and uh, carry on the story. I just want to focus on one person. So, The first thing we need to realize is Jesus knew about eternal punishment. So he knows about this place that he's talking about. So what he's describing now is from first-hand experience. He knows it. He was involved in its creation. And he came to earth to warn us and to direct us away from that path and into a path that is a full life now and an eternal life of joy. He came for that purpose. The Son of Man has come to seek to save that which was lost. To save the sinners. Okay then. The second thing we need to see is it's a true story. It's most likely a true story. Why do we know it's a true story? Here's the reason. Because if it was a parable, mostly the Bible tells us this is a parable. Parable is a story to illustrate a point. Even if it was a parable, it's still to teach something. But the thing that makes this thing is, one, he he didn't call it a parable. He just told the story. And secondly, he identifies one of the people by name. And that's what singles it out from all other parables. The other parables that no one's ever mentioned by name, when he's telling the story, he's telling the story about two men he knew of. One of them is called Lazarus. The other one, he doesn't identify. I'll tell you why he doesn't identify him later. Doesn't identify him. But we know there's one man there, Lazarus, who's having a great time. And we know there's another one there who's not having a good time at all. He's having a very sad and a very miserable time. And even though what he's up to, we know what's happened to him because Jesus told us what's going on. So we're going to enjoy this story. Okay, now Jesus knew the state of these people. Now you understand there's no second chance, no second opportunity. There's just the one chance. Now, uh, the first thing to see is, in, so how many of you in your Bible, it says that the rich man was in hell? It tells in, in verse 23. How many of your Bible has hell in there is the word written there? Some of you have. How many had it? Hades was written in there, the majority. Okay, there is a difference between the two places. You need to understand the difference. When you understand the difference, and you can see this, and we'll talk about the, the rich man and what was going on. And more important, why was he there? That's the key thing. Why was he there? I want to know why he was there. If I know why he's there, I make sure I'm not there too for the same reason. And I can help other people not to be there for the same reason. I need to know why he was there. Okay, some of you will already be thinking, well, because he was rich. No, that's not the reason. 
Okay. <laughs> okay, then. so first of all, we need to look at the... Uh, there are two words from the Bible which are used in the original language. One's called Gehenna, Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A, Gehenna. The other's called Hades. They refer to two different places. Gehenna, uh, used very commonly, was literally meant the Valley of Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom. That valley is a valley there still to this day. It's just a valley to the south of Jerusalem. It's a valley outside Jerusalem. In the days of Josiah, they sacrificed children in that valley. It was a place of idol worship, a place where demons came and took the lives of children. When Josiah came, he did a major reformation, and he defiled the place and turned it into a rubbish dump. So what had been the place they went to worship their gods became actually exposed for what it was and was turned into a rubbish dump. Isn't that interesting? And so what they would do is all the rubbish from Jerusalem they take out to the Valley of Hinnom, it was the rubbish dump. Now, we don't have these places, but how many remember a few years ago used to have rubbish dumps? You know, out the, man, I used to get the rubbish dump. Boy, that was a place. You know, there's smoke going up and things burning. There's a terrible smell and there's gannets hanging around. Or there's birds and stuff hanging around. All that. We used to go out to the, to the rubbish dump. You can't sort of do that now. They kind of have this special, they've done it all nice now, but it used to be just a rubbish dump that was burning. And what they would put on the rubbish dump is they put on the, 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 uh, they would put on the rubbish, any animal that died, they, because of the, the, the um, patterns they had of cleanliness, they would take them and stick them out on the rubbish dump and burn them. So there were burning animals there and, the, you know, maggots eating them out. And then, and then also, if a person was a criminal, they didn't bury them, they put them in the Valley of Hinnom and burn them. If a person was a criminal... Hence the significance of Jesus not going there as a criminal. He should have gone there, but he never went there. He was, remember, he was crucified as a criminal, so normally he would have gone there, but he actually ended up buried in the rich man's tomb, according to prophecy. Got to be pretty clever to be able to do something after you're dead that was prophesied hundreds of years ago. That's pretty clever, isn't it, eh? But normally, because he died the death of a criminal, he would have been just his body cast into that valley and then burned. If a person died, say, with uh, infectious diseases, likewise, they would not bury them. They'd burn them as well. So now you've got the picture of the Valley of Hinnom. It's a valley which was full of rubbish, full of maggots and corruption and birds hanging around. There was a fire burning all the time. There was a horrible smell all the time. It was a place. And so that was the word they used to describe hell. So they use that word to describe hell, Gehenna. Gehenna. In Revelations 14, verse 10 and 11, it says, uh, that it talks there about people being tormented with fire forever and ever and ever. The smoke of their torment arises forever. In uh, Revelations 20 and verse 10 and 15, it says, those whose names are not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire, and there they will be tormented forever and ever and ever. It's a very real place. So when the Bible uses the word Gehenna, it's talking about a lake of fire, hell, the eternal destiny of all who rebelled against God. Angels and I. Now, Jesus made it clear that place was not made for man. That place was made for the devil and his angels. Jesus made it very clear. He taught that it was for the devil and his angels. It was never made for man. God's heart was never that men would be there, but there was no other place that they could go when they rebelled against God except the place God had prepared for people who rebelled against him, namely the devil and his angels. It was not the plan of God that men rebelled. So, okay, then there's also a place called Hades. Hades is literally the place of the, uh, the dead. Uh, it's called Sheol in the Old Testament, if you have your Bible there. Sheol, it was mentioned there. And it was divided into two places. Uh, it was divided into a place called Paradise and a place which was the place of torment with a huge gulf or a chasm fixed between it. So Hades, the place where the dead went, 
that place had two parts to it. One was called paradise, or meaning literally the garden of pleasure. The Jews called it Abraham's bosom. And that mean, the reason they called it that was Abraham was the father of all men of faith. So where Abraham went when he died, if you were a believer, you went there too. So to be in Abraham's bosom to the Jews meant you were in the paradise of God. You were in the garden of God. You were in the presence of God. You were in a place of uh, joy and gladness because you have walked with God. Okay, so when it uses the term paradise there, uh, Abraham's bosom, it's the same thing. Now, we need to understand some things. I won't give all the scriptures. I'll give them to you, and then you can look them up yourself. But uh, when Jesus uh, was on the cross, Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, remember he spoke to the sinner who was dying on the cross, and he said to him these words, This day you shall be with me, where? In paradise. So where was that? In Hades in the place where Abraham was, okay? Not the bad place, the place where... So he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise, in Abraham's bosom, in that place in Hades. You'll be there, see? The second thing we realize about it also was that after Jesus rose from the dead, he emptied out all of that place, took them all to heaven with him. He emptied out that place that all the saints of old, right through from the beginning, right through to Jesus' day, all of them were in that place, and he took them all with them as the first fruits into heaven. Notice it tells us that after Jesus, uh, when Jesus died, there was an earthquake, the graves broke open, and after his resurrection, many saints rose and were seen in the city of God. Okay? But then afterwards, it says in Ephesians chapter 4, he ascended on high, and he took captivity captive. He released out of captivity those who were held in that place, took them into heaven. Heaven is now the paradise of God. And we know that to be true because in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 to 4, Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven. He was caught up into paradise. So we've got this. So we've got now, there's this place called Hades. It was divided up into two places, what Jesus is talking about. So you notice that one place is a place of great joy. The other place is a place of great torment. This is the place where unbelievers go. Now, when all the whole thing's all wrapped up, Hades will be emptied out, and everyone who's currently in there now will just go into the lake of eternal fire. I was very clear on that. And so let's have a look at this place, and I want to show you a few things about it. Just because, you know, you hear people say, oh, well, you know, don't worry about your hell, but you'll be there with my mates. You'll be there, but you won't be with your mates, that's for sure. Let's read down through the story again. We've read it. Let me just throw a few things out. First of all, I'll talk a little about, about the pain or the torment that's there. Now, Jesus teaches several things in the in this scripture here. First, he teaches it's a place. It's a real place. He teaches it's a place. It's a real place. It's not a state. It's a place. It's a place you go. When we use the word destiny, it comes, we get the word destination. You get on a bus, you go somewhere, it's a destination. See? So he's saying there's a destination, a place you end up. You may not want to be there, but it's a destination. You've got no choice. You notice what it says here. It says in verse 22, when the beggar died, he was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and was buried. And of course, he had a rich man's burial. So there's this lovely service and people dressed up and they had flowers everywhere and lots of hearses. And it was just a great affair, a huge affair. They all came up and said what nice things he'd done and proclaimed all these wonderful things. It was so moving. They sang songs, sang hymns, did all kinds of wonderful things. What they didn't realize, of course, he is underneath right now at that point in torment. He, opening his eyes, wow, how did I get here? What a shock. So several things about it. number two, it's a place. Notice that it tells us that in that place you have eyes, 
fingers, you can see, you can hear, you can remember, you have emotions, you have pain. In other words, you are there as a spirit man. So right now, like I was saw a body recently, you look at the body, it looks like a wax model because the person's gone. You just know how many people have seen a dead body. Hey, the one thing you know is no one's home. Where are they? Ooh, good question. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Only one, two, two places to go. Up into the presence of God. Hi. Down. Don't want to go there. See, so this man was in a place and he had eyes. Notice he talked about fingers and he talked about tongue and he talked about lips. He talked about thirst. He talked, he could feel and see and remember. He was fully, he was as alive, he was more alive than you are now. In the sense that his awareness of reality was acute. He had suddenly a wake up. Notice what it says, his eyes were open. Paul prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be open and we would see what is the hope of our calling and the great power of God's abilities within us and what God is looking for in our lives. Okay then, so notice it's a place where he could remember. Verse 25, Abraham says to him, remember, remember your life. Oh, yes, I remember my life. Oh, 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 eating and drinking and partying and stuff. And it was a great, oh, it's different now. So he says, it's a place where you can remember things. You can remember your life. You remember your relationships. He could remember Lazarus. He knew Lazarus. He walked past him every day and never helped him. He, he, he recognized Abraham. He remembered his brothers. It's a place you remember. In fact, when a person is in hell, they remember everything. They remember all their whole life. They remember all their, what they did. They remember everything. Everything is clear. There's no such thing as no memory now. It's all clear. You remember it all, everything. And you've got an eternity to go over it. The times God sent someone into your life to talk to you about Jesus Christ. The times someone sent someone to you to talk to you about eternity. The times God sent someone into you to show you that there is a God who loves people. You remember all of those times very, very vividly, very, very clearly. Notice it's a place of division. Verse 26, there's this great gap. So you're divided. You're permanently separated. You're separated absolutely and completely. You're separated from God, separated from your friends, separated from those who are in heaven. There is a separation you can never, never repair. You are eternally separated. So here's another thing about it. It's a place of torment and pain. Notice in verse 23 and 24, he says, I'm tormented. I am hot and burning. He was tormented. He was shrieking with pain. No funny thing. Well, I was driving down here. God gave me a vision of it and started to show it to me. I'd slowed right down, just began to weep and weep. Just the feeling of despair that's in that place. You can never, never get out. Never. 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 It doesn't stop. It's on. It goes on. It's a place of, of prayer. People pray in hell. He says, I beg you. He begins to become a praying man. May not have been a praying man all through your life, but you become a praying man when you're in hell. Ah, please get me out of God, get me out. Sorry. Too late to pray now. Place where people pray. They pray and they cry out. Their shrieks are what can be heard. Shrieks of grief and regret and torment. It's a place of regret where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and anger and frustration and rage. If only 
angry at themselves, angry at how things have turned out, angry at being caught, angry. You know, when people get caught, they get very angry. There's a heap of that goes on in hell. Anger and grinding of teeth and, and rage at being in this place. Another thing it tells us there, it's a place where you have totally new priorities. You start to change. Your, think, your thoughts immediately change. See, while he was on earth, there's no need to go to church. no need to have a thing with God. Don't worry about this stuff. It's a good life. Let's just really lay after our life. It's going to look after our life. Now, suddenly, now, he's got nothing. His money can't help him. His money can't buy anything. He's all left behind. They're all spending it. They don't want him to come back. They've already divided it up, read the will and divided it. They don't want the money. He can, see, there's this huge regret that goes on. And now he's starting to realize, man, uh, if I can't do anything. Now, notice this. There's no time he asked for himself to get out because he knew it was just he'd be there. But he did ask that his brothers not go to that place. So can you imagine what it's like to be in hell and you remember all your family and what they're like and you think, oh, my God. If I can't get out myself, at least I can help them get out. Can I help them get out? So there's huge concern for the people he loved and the people that he was connected to. It's a place of new priorities where you suddenly believe in Jesus, but you can't have faith to be saved. It's too late. Oh, I believe now. I've suddenly got religion. Too late. You're in jail. Forever. And next thing you notice here, it, uh, it's a place where he knew his need to repent. He said, he said, he said um, Father Abraham, if one goes from the dead, they will repent. He knew the real reason he's there. He never repented. He knew the only way he could ever not be there is if you repented. If you turned against sin, if you turned against rebelling against God, turned against doing things your own way, if you would turn to the living God, that's the only way you can escape that place. He knew it. He says, Send someone to my brothers. They need to repent. They need to repent. He knew what he needed to do, but he never did. Too late. No opportunity. It's also a place of despair because there's no hope. No hope. And Jesus also described it in another place as a place of eternal disintegration where you are continually falling apart and being eaten and consumed by the lust you've had during life. Mark 9, I think, verse 49. So why was he there? Why was he there? Why was he there? Let's ask a few questions. Why was he? Here's a couple of reasons why he wasn't there. Number one, he wasn't there because he was rich. He was not there because he was rich. Sometimes people read it, the rich man went to heaven, the poor man went to hell, and they get wrong ideas about it. You don't go to heaven because you're rich, nor because you're poor. You go because of another reason. Here it is. So number one, he, he was rich. Now, Abraham was rich, so was Isaac and Jacob and, Ab- and David and Solomon. Riches, riches aren't the issue. It's how you use them. The problem with wealth is it becomes deceptive. You begin to trust in it, and then you don't rely on the living God. That's what the problem with it is. So he wasn't there because he was rich, but in heaven he couldn't use his money at all. Here's the second reason he was not in there because he lived it up in life and had a lot of good clothes and wore good food and had a nice vehicle and, uh, you know, ate good food and that kind of stuff. See, it wasn't there because of that. See, you can enjoy all those things. God gives us everything richly to enjoy. He wasn't there because he failed to help the poor because you don't get into heaven just by helping the poor. He walked past that guy. It seems to be a reflection more of what he was like. He wasn't there. Notice he was a Jew. The Bible is very clear. He was a Jew. His brothers had the law and Moses. He called Abraham father. He was a Jew. In other words, he was a covenant person. He's what would be called a believer. This is why he was lost. I'll give you three reasons why he was lost. Three reasons why he was in that place. Number one, his name was not known by God. His name 
was not known. Does that mean that God didn't know his name? Yeah, God knew his name. But when the Bible says that God... See, you notice in this, it's very careful not to, to point out one, the, the man who was there was Lazarus. Jesus knew him by name. But the Bible says in, in, uh, in, in a number of ways, you see, to know someone's name means you have a relationship with them. Many times in the Bible when God had a relationship with someone, he changed their name. The name signified who they were, see? So you might know about the prime minister, but if they don't know you by name, then you don't have any kind of relationship with them. So think about it. So he wasn't known by name. In Revelation 20.15, it says, anyone whose name was not written in the Lamb's book of life was put into the lake of fire. So his name was not known. How do you get your name known by God? See, God knows all about me. He knows who I am. But to have my name recognized by God, I have to have faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved. So if I will call on the name of Jesus Christ, I then become known by God as one who identified with the Son. That's why you get water baptized, to identify with Jesus Christ. To say goodbye to your old life without God and to welcome a new life as you come up out of the water of association with God, having a new name, a new nature, a new character. I didn't know your name. There are many times in the Bible where Jesus said, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. I knew you not. Now, he had already, they said, but you've been in our streets and you taught and preached and we were there and we heard all this. I don't know you. You never responded. So if we don't respond and we don't recognize God and his word, he does not recognize us either. Here's the second thing is he rejected God's word and plan of salvation. He had his own plan of salvation. Here's his plan. The plan is, Father Abraham, quickly raise someone. Send Lazarus back. Bring him back. Bring him back. Send him. Send a dead man there to speak. He had his plan of salvation. But God's got a different plan of salvation. It includes someone coming from the dead. His name was Jesus Christ. who rose from the dead. Lazarus rose from the dead. They tried to kill him. Rising from the dead is not the thing. Raising from the dead shows God's power over death. But uh, he rejected God's plan of salvation. There is only one way whereby men must be saved. It is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There's no other religion on earth will get you to heaven. Now, people do not like you to say this. They want to believe, well, God's sort of tolerant, and there's lots of gods who all worship the same God. Listen, there is only one name given unto heaven whereby a man must be saved. That is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not come to know that name and call on that name, you cannot be saved. You cannot go to heaven. You must go to this other place. And the third reason was because he failed to repent. He failed to repent. He failed to repent. God requires that men repent. Jesus' message was on repentance. Jesus' message was on repentance. And except you repent, you will perish, he said. Except you repent, you'll also perish. In uh, Acts 3.19, repent and be converted and receive the Spirit of God into your life. Repentance, a change of attitude towards living a life without God, my creator, and an attitude of God, you are my creator, I acknowledge you as my Lord, and I bring my life under that leadership and direction, and now I will begin to walk out my purpose, my destiny in life. And you know what will happen? Because I've turned away from sin, which led me down the course to hell, and I've turned towards Jesus Christ and set my affection on heaven and begin to walk with him, I have another destination. I have another destination. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him, now, believing is not just, yeah, 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 say yes to Jesus. 
Now believing is to commit and entrust your life to him and his words. I want us to close our eyes for just a moment.